For those I haven't met, my name's Tabitha, or Tab to most, and I'm going to bring our Bible reading to us this morning. If you've got one of the black Bibles from up the back, we are starting on page 861. And we're reading Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 to 22. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Lord, another of his disciples said, First, let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Thanks, Tab. Well, uh, we're at the beginning of a new year and um, in our summer church, we've been looking at hard sayings of Jesus. Did Jesus actually say that? And this morning, our... um, The words that we're looking at are those words, let the dead bury the dead. What did Jesus really say? Well, kids, if you're those kids that are still in, you might want to listen to this story because uh, you might be able to use it later on um, to explain something to your parents. But adults, I want you to imagine that you are... The, um, the parent of an 18 to 20-year-old daughter. And um, you've just sent her off overseas to study at university. Well, when I say just, it's been a few months now. She's tried to um, keep up, keep in touch. She did good, did well the first few months in FaceTime and messengers. But then that communication has died off and it's become very sporadic. And then this morning, you've received an email and you've opened the email up and it says, Dear Mum and Dad, since I left for uni, I've been a bit slack about keeping in touch and I'm sorry for my thoughtfulness, thoughtlessness. I'll bring you up to date. But before I do... Please sit down. It's important that you sit down. Now, all those books you've read and all those movies you've watched, where those words have been used, you know what's coming, don't you? It must be serious. Well, you sit down and, she, and you continue to read on. I'm getting along pretty well now. The skull fracture and concussion I got when I jumped out of my dormitory window, when it caught on fire shortly after my arrival, is pretty well healed. I only get those sick headaches a couple of times a day now. Fortunately, an attendant at the petrol station across the road saw the jump, raced across and helped me. He took me to hospital and he continued to visit me there. When I got out of hospital, I had nowhere to live because my room was burnt out. So he invited me to move into his basement flat. 
It's small, but it's kind of cute. He's a fine boy. We've fallen in love. We're planning to get married. We haven't set the exact date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy starts to show. Yes, Mum and Dad, I am pregnant. I know how, how much you've been looking forward to being grandparents. And I know that you will welcome that baby and treat them just as you treated me. The reason for our delay in getting married is that my boyfriend has an infection, which I've carelessly caught. I know you'll welcome him into our family with open arms. He's kind. He's not well educated, but he is ambitious. He's from a different race and a different religion to ours. I know you often talked about tolerance, and so you probably won't be bothered by that. Well, now that I brought you up to date, I want to tell you there was no fire. I don't have concussion. I don't have a skull fracture. I wasn't in hospital, and I'm not pregnant. I don't have an infection. And there is no boyfriend. However, I failed history and science. <laughs> and I wanted you to see the results in their proper perspective. <laughs> now, you can imagine getting a letter like that, can't you? And as each new hammer blow comes, oh, oh no, what's going on? You're freaking out. If she had have immediately said, dear mum and dad, I'm sorry, I've not been in touch I failed all my exams. What do you mean you failed? But when we read a letter with all of that other stuff, you go, darling, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Perspective. Perspective. It's so important. But then we read Matthew chapter 8 and verse 18 to 22, and we hear these words, let the dead bury their own dead. Where do our thoughts go? They go to death and to funerals and our perceptions come to the fore. <clears throat> our perception of Jesus is that his words are so harsh and so callous. What sort of a person would say that? When death occurs, it's such a roller coaster of a time. We're filled with emotions. We're sad. There's a funeral to organise. People will be coming from all over, trips to and from the airport. What will, where will relatives be staying? What will we eat? Where will we eat? How many are coming? Then there's the preparations for the funeral itself. Whose church will it be in? Will it be a burial or cremation? What music will we have? Who will speak and give the tribute? Do we have photos for that? What Bible readings? Who will preach? Oh, will it be that guy from your church? He preaches for so long. And then the real clincher that will divide the family, no end. Not just the still or the Milwaukee or the Husqvarna, but the division of the inheritance. And all of that on top of the emotions of loss and sadness and trying to console and comfort one another. 
Don't forget, we need a right perspective. And so when we take a step back and look through the New Testament, we actually see that when it comes to the matter of death, Jesus was far from callous, harsh, uncaring. What we really see is compassion, love, care, concern. His words come into focus and there is real clarity when we get a correct perspective. There are many accounts we could look at that speak about death and in each we would see a different aspect of Jesus' response. But if we just take that one out of John 11 that uh, Craig referred to, Lazarus's death. When Jesus comes into that situation, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus comes and he comforts Mary and Martha. He consoles people. He weeps himself because he knows the impact of death and what happens to one another. And so he brings words of comfort and he raises the dead. Now, are they the actions of a callous man, uncaring, harsh? No, of course not. A right perspective will show Jesus' real attitude to death. So what's going on here? Well, we need to get the context right because context is everything. And when it comes to reading God's word and understanding it, we need to read the phrase, let the dead bury their dead, in the context of this sentence here. Jesus said, told him, follow me and let the, bed, de, let the dead bury their own dead. We need to see it in the context of that paragraph. The chapter, chapter 8, which we'll look at a little bit, in the context of Matthew's gospel and in the context of the whole Bible. Because if you take a word in isolation, then of course you will get nonsense and it won't make sense. But in context, it's an entirely different story. So what's the context of these verses? Well, you might remember that after the temptation of Jesus, back in chapter 4, Jesus begins to teach about the kingdom of God. And you might recall last year through the school holidays, we started to look at the Lord's Prayer. And we saw there that the Lord's Prayer was in the context of the teaching of the kingdom of God. And it continues to be the context of the kingdom here in chapter 8. And if you look through chapter 8, then you will get the main point of each of the accounts before this passage and after this passage. You'll see that they all have something to do with it about being called to follow Jesus. People want to follow because of what Jesus is doing. But what Jesus says is to cause people to stop to take stock of what this is all about. He's been doing miracles, healings, demonstrations of power. They've all, they've all got that effect of making you feel good, amazed, excited to be part of it. But is that what the kingdom is about? It's actually about being in a relationship with God through Jesus and walking in his ways moment by moment. People are happy to follow when things are all going along beautifully. But when the going gets tough, people get going. They turn away and their priorities are all wrong. These words, 
let the dead bury their own dead, come in the context of a man glibly saying, I will follow you anywhere. And Jesus uncovers that deep-seated reality in people's hearts. When Jesus confronts that reality, what happens is that excuses immediately rise to the surface. Teacher of the law says, I will follow you wherever you go. Doesn't matter what happens, I'll be there. That's the sort of person I am. And then Jesus makes a factual statement in, return, in reply. Well, there's a cost to following me. Foxes have got holes or dens. Birds have nests. But me, the one you're going to follow everywhere, no matter what, well, I don't have anything. I don't have a roof over my head. Nothing. Now, the man who said, I will follow you wherever, was a teacher of the law. That means he has a, he's a man of position, power, authority, respect, a person of high standing within his community. He has probably got a lovely and comfortable home, a lifestyle, friends. If you look at the passage... We don't actually hear what his response was. There's nothing more about this man. Now, I wonder if that's because if we were told what he, had, what he did, you might think that's what you have to do. But if we're not told what he did, you might have to think about your own response and what you need to do. What we do hear, though, is the reaction of one of Jesus' disciples one of those who have been following him. And this disciple has been listening and suddenly reality hits and he says, oh, hang on a minute. I've got to go and bury my father first. Now, we don't know if this disciple's father is sick, if he's dead, or if he's in the prime of life and he's got 20, 30, 40 years left to live. But that's the reason he gives for not being able to continue following Jesus. And before you start condemning him, look at what causes him to take a step back and reevaluate. He's confronted with the real cost of following Jesus. He now realizes that in order to follow Jesus, he'll have to make some significant changes to his life. And what hits him between the eyes is that he realises he won't be able to have a nice hot shower at the end of the day and wash the dirt off. He won't sit at his nice dining room table and have a well-prepared meal. He won't be able to have an ice-cold drink as he watches the tally and catches up on the news and the sport of the day. And he definitely hasn't got a nice, comfy bed to retire to at the end of the night. In fact, he'll actually be lucky if he has a roof over his head. This disciple has been following Jesus. I'll follow, but my first priority is to look after myself, my comfortable way of living. We aren't actually told 
what that top priority in his life is. The thing he loves more than Jesus. It may be his father. He may be an only son. It may be an inheritance that's too good to give up. Whatever it is, it's got a priority that is higher than Jesus. And he allows that priority to come to the fore and govern his life and his decisions and his actions. So where have we come so far? We need to get our perception of Jesus fixed by getting our perception, sorry, we need to get our perception of Jesus fixed by getting our perspective right. We need to see who Jesus is and what he's really like. And then we need to get our priorities in order. When we're called by Jesus to follow him, what are the implications? There are changes that need to be made. Jesus might call us to move somewhere else. He may call us to change jobs. He may call us to change our lifestyle. He may call us to change some of our friends. They're just some of the changes he might call us to do that might be required of us. What Jesus may call you to do may be very different to the person in front of you. That's why we're not told why the teacher, what the teacher of the law did. What we can be sure of is that if Jesus calls us to follow him, it will involve change. And like the disciple, we can all think of excuses for any area of change that might be asked of us. Why can't move overseas? to a developing nation, I've got children to educate. I can't change jobs because that might mean I'll earn less and I won't be able to pay for my daily cup of coffee. Whatever it is, you'll be able to think of an excuse for not doing it. But it is only an excuse. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he's saying... Your priorities need to change. I need to be first in your life. Remember about the context. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 4, you start reading through about the teaching on the kingdom. We come to chapter 6, verse 33. What does Jesus say? Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will fall in line. All these things will follow. People have no problem following Jesus if it's convenient, if it's popular, if it isn't too demanding. When Jesus calls us, he doesn't call us on our terms, it's on his. When he calls us, he doesn't accept our current way of life. He doesn't accept our sinfulness, our rebellion towards God, to the things of God, rather He redeems us. He forgives us. He sets us free from all of our failings and all of our wrongdoings. And in doing so, he calls us to a radical new way of life, a new way of living, a way of living that means we have our perception changed 
We have a changed perspective on life and on eternity. And we adopt new priorities. See, that new perspective recognises that Jesus, the true Jesus, recognises his way. It recognises the price he paid in dying in our place. It recognises our sins are forgiven. We've become a new creation. Our priority now will be wholehearted devotion to God and his ways. There'll be no concern for the things that aren't of Jesus. Those with no concern for those things, they are the ones who are the dead. They're the ones who are being told to bury their own dead. They have nothing to do with the kingdom. They have to do with the ways and things of this world. And they want nothing to do with the ways of God. So Jesus says, let them carry on. And don't be drawn into their way of life. Now, do we get it right because we've, been, we've changed or we've been accepted by Jesus? We're walking in his way? No, not at all. Of course we don't. We've been set free. We've been given a new heart and a new desire. And we want to walk hand in hand with Jesus by the power of his spirit each day. And when that call includes some hard changes, we won't follow the world, the way of the dead. We'll want to be obedient to Jesus, not the old life. Jesus says, doesn't say, do it on your own. He's given us his spirit to walk with us, to dwell within us. And he's given us this community to be part of helping each and every one of us grow and walk in his new ways. And if you're a Christian, finding the Christian walk difficult, and who doesn't? Not just at various points, but almost every day. Then know that you have brothers and sisters who know Jesus and who love you and want you to live your best life, the best life that you can, as one of Jesus' followers, one of his brothers and sisters. So ask for help when things are getting hard. Jan came up a little while ago and told us that home groups, growth groups, are going to be starting up in a few weeks. If you're not in one, join. Because that's where you will find help each and every week, and where people will respond to your cry for help immediately. All day, every day, I hear my wife's phone pinging. Why is it pinging? Because the growth group that she is in, the ladies are talking to one another all day about what's going on, what they need help with, what they need prayer for. See, the minister of your congregation can't be expected to know each and every person and each and everyone's issues, but your small group is there to help you, to walk with you. And Jesus dwells within you by his spirit, and he will be there to help you day by day. So when Jesus calls us to follow him, he's saying, get your priorities right. 
Let those who are outside the kingdom, the dead, deal with the issues that are outside of the kingdom, the old ways. But you, you've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've been welcomed into a new life. You've got a new perspective on life. And I want you to set your priorities on life. Sorry, your priorities on the kingdom and its way of life. And everything else will fall in line. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Amen.